Welcome to Soloquacious, a podcast from Out in Perth magazine. Soloquacious is where we discuss everything from politics to pop music, activism to art, and all from an LGBTIQ point of view. My name is Graham Watson, and each week I'm joined by my colleague Lee Hill, our special guest. In this episode, we're asking the questions, how can we make it easier for transgender people to find jobs? Should the media be more respectful of transgender people's chosen names? Why are there still male and female categories for the acting awards at the Oscars? And we're briefly going to talk about one of the dumbest reasons ever put forward to explain people's sexual orientation. There's a lot of things to discuss, but first let me introduce our guest. Kai Schweitzer is a writer tackling both creative and non-fiction genres, alongside being an outspoken advocate for transgender rights and recognition, and a passionate campaigner who supports the Safe Schools Coalition program. Thanks for joining us, Kai. Thank you. Tell me, the first time we met was when you spoke at a Safe Schools rally um, in front of a lot of people in the middle of the city. Yeah. What was it like, you know, to get up and, and speak at a rally? Uh, it was, I think it was the first time I'd ever had to do something like that. And um, I was completely terrified. But it was something I was really passionate about. You know, I got a chance to talk about my experience in high school that I'm very private about. And at that point in time, I'd been out as trans for a long time, but I hadn't said so in public in such a big forum before. Um, but I think it had a positive impact and that's what mattered to me was getting that story out there and encouraging other people to share theirs in the process. You talked about your experiences of high school um, and your, your school now has the Safe Schools program. It does, technically. <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting thing because they all um, it's up to the school how much of the program they use or they bring in and at that's what correct. level it comes in. But also I found that really surprising because um, some of the schools which have only just dipped their toe in the water recently with safe schools have been blasted for, um, you know, even thinking to go there. You know, they, they didn't even open the door. They maybe looked through the keyhole. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, my high school has signed up, but they've done a very poor job of actually implementing it by having teachers that aren't really educated on the content, just trying to read off of the sheet and teach it. Whereas I actually know some schools that aren't signed up to the program because they're worried about the backlash, but they've implemented it anyway and just not had their name listed and have done an excellent job. Um, mm. That's interesting. That yeah. is interesting. The, uh, we have a lot to talk to, and, and because we knew you were going to be our guest, we, we sort of focused on some stories which affect the transgender community. One uh, really big report came out this week. is from the Transgender Centre of Equality in the USA, and it has done this massive survey, one of the biggest ever about transgender people's lives. There's uh, 28,000 people were surveyed in 2015. I mean, that's just massive. Mm, yeah. The uh, found a lot of things, and most of these I don't think will come as a surprise, but they're definitely interesting. Their key findings are things like transgender people are twice as likely to experience poverty. If you're trans, you're three times more likely to be unemployed. 40% of the respondents of the survey said they'd attempted suicide. In the US, the national average is 4.6, which means it's almost 10 times more likely that you would have attempted suicide. And you're more likely to have experienced violence, harassment, and psychological distress. And, of course, they found that trans people live in every state of the USA in every area. It's not like, you know, everyone lives in San Francisco or New York. Yeah. <laughs> the people are actually in every electorate, which sort of mirrors, you know, studies that were done 
about people being, you know, gay, both, you know, in a, in America and here in Australia. I mean, Bob Catt is the famous politician for saying he's pretty sure there were no gay people in his electorate, um, <laughs> which has been very, very disproven <laughs> since. Yeah, there's this real assumption that you, you can tell a trans person by looking at them and therefore you'll know if they're around you. But, you know, I took a class for an entire semester and on one of the classes the teacher said, raise your hand if you've ever met a trans person and half the class didn't raise their hand because they didn't think they had, but they'd been sitting in a classroom for one for an entire semester. Mm. I think we often, um, you know, we talk about passing and if yeah. people can clock if you're trans. And I've had the experience of, um, you know, a, f- a friend of mine was quite shocked to discover I didn't know they were trans because yeah. I'd, I'd met them after they had transitioned and and I, I'd never had the thought in my mind. And I, and I was, they were so happy to find out that I didn't yeah. know because they said I was the first person who had that they'd come across, they'd, you know, who sort of realised that they had always assumed their, their gender is what they wanted it to be. I was like, no, I had no idea. But they just assumed that you would, the opposite way, they assume you would know. Yeah, yeah, I guess for me, I still, I think a lot of us have that sort of, for such a long time we didn't pass that we still get really surprised when we do. No matter how far along in our transitions we are, I know people that have three or four years on still get surprised when people gender them correctly. And that's pretty normal. But, you know, it's it's tough because some people like being told, oh, I couldn't even tell. And some people feel really insulted by that because it's it's assuming that you can, you're saying you can normally tell and this person's an exception to that rule. It's a tough But one. it works in all directions as well because I've, I've written a piece before about how people assume I'm straight. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> It's the plaid shirt. <laughs> and I, I, it was actually one month out in Perth. I just, I had, you know, have to write a, a editorial at the front of the magazine and I just had nothing. I had nothing to say, nothing, I, you know, inspired me at that time. And everything had been done, the whole magazine and the, the rest of the team said, would you just sit down in front of this computer and write, you know, 350 words so we could all finish this magazine and go home. <laughs> and I wrote a piece about how some people ask me, as a straight guy, how do you get to be you know, an editor of a magazine, a gay magazine. <laughs> and and I was oh, like, what dear. What made you think I was straight? And I sort of pondered on, was it because I wear a lot of check shirts? Is it because I live in, you know, the suburbs? Is it because I have a dog? Um, it is or, not because you have a dog. <laughs> um, but uh, what I found most surprising about that is lots of people wrote me letters and emails and phoned up and said, I, I'm a gay guy who lives in the suburbs with a dog and wears check shirts and and I understand, yeah. um, you know, sort of the the hidden queer population, you know, who don't are not, you know, obviously outwardly flamboyant or camp, all those sort of things, you know, the sort of stereotypes we think of, yeah. you know, who are who are truck drivers and who are, you know, working at offices and professionals and and I guess we go in the opposite problem. directions. Like gay people often really want to make it clear so that other people can find them in their community. And I spot you, you're gay. For us, it's sort of a lot of us are trying to blend in. And, yeah, it's very strange, I, especially when you, you've got this intersection between being someone who's trans and also diverse sexuality, where you're like, I want to pass, but I also want to pass as gay, so I want to be feminine, but not too feminine. Or, you know, I know lesbian trans women who want to be short-haired and masculine, but not presenting as male, and it's finding this balance between being visibly queer, but not visibly trans. Mm. Lee, you ever been misgendered? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> with this voice, it's going to happen. Most of my uh, high school life, I was a little overweight and I had long hair. So as a cisgender man, I was often confused for a woman or trans all the time. And people call our office and say, I spoke to a lady named Lee. 
<laughs> Surprise! I have a beard. <laughs> but not on the phone. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't just grow through it sh- onto the other side of the phone. If, if you guys know a way. <laughs> well, I can help you with voice training because I did a lot of that in the oh, past. Oh, yeah, you of course. Deepen it with practice. There's apps for that. There are apps for that. Yeah. They're very expensive and only available on certain phones. and It can be tough, but um, it's not as much of a problem for trans guys. It's more of an issue for trans women who, mm. you know, they really struggle to get their voice to a passable in quotations yeah. uh, level. I wouldn't yeah. want to I wouldn't change it for a thing now. Like it's yeah. it's, Proud it's of it. part of me. Remember when we <laughs> interviewed Jordan from uh, Axis of Awesome, she said, um, this is my voice. Just yeah. keep it the way it is. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. That's how I feel. It's about just having pride in who you are for a lot of people. There are some people that are really, really focused on passing and it's the be all and end all is just blending in and not wanting to be part of the trans community and just being completely separate from that because it's not a big part of who they are. And for other people, they're really proud of the fact that they have a diverse gender history that, you know, is a part of them. And it can be really tough to decide whether you want to be someone who's stealth and is not a part of you or someone who lives your life out and open about it. And for me, it was a case of, you know, I went to single sex high school. I have a life where it's really, really challenging to not acknowledge that part of myself because it feels like I have to completely remove my entire past of you know 18 years in order to just exist and be seen for who I really am. A friend of mine got an invite to her 10-year high school reunion <laughs> and um, went to an all-boys school. Yeah. And it was one of those like, mm, this is going to be challenging. Yeah. 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 I mean, I know a few, few people that have done that now. It was like their five-year or their two-year or something. And the school was totally fine. They, you know, put the right name on the label and everything. And, you know, sometimes they can surprise you. A couple of the oldest single-sex schools in the state have just announced they're going to accept male and female students now. Yeah, Guildford yeah. is doing that. Guildford and Perth College, and I believe, Everyone's as well. so upset about it. And I'm like, this is yeah. great. What yeah. are you on about? The, uh, I can't imagine going to a single gender school. No. You know? Uh, I, w- I don't know what I would have done without females at high school and in primary school. Ladies are the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, uh, when it comes to employment, though, why, why are there so many challenges for discrimination against trans people getting jobs? Here in Perth, I, I, it's a tough one. Um, there is a lot of sneaky ways to get away with discrimination that aren't heavily regulated um you know people can say that they are firing you for a different reason but really you know it's that um i know someone who was fired from their job because they sent out an email coming out as trans and they were fired and told you sent out a sexually explicit email (laughs) and when they took it further they were told nope you did send out a sexually explicit email we can't help you um sexually explicit yeah coming out as their gender. That's correct. They should technically be a gender explicit. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. I know of people being beaten up on the job. I'm one of them. I know of people being told, like, that's a mental illness, you know, go and get it fixed and then you can come back. You know, this is happening right here in our own city, everywhere. It's really tough. It doesn't matter how qualified you are, really. It's just really comes down to your gender if it's visible to other people and they're worried that it will affect their clientele uh it's not necessarily their beliefs it's how they feel that others that they're giving their service to will feel about it i used to work for a business which was very supportive um of hiring trans people 
certainly had the experience of clients calling up and you know having concern. But I, I was really proud that the the owners of the business just said, well, you know, these are our staff and we support them and we respect them and that's that's the way it is. And you know, if you want to buy your product somewhere else, that's okay. That's how it should be. Really, it's really tough for a lot of people. We, I know people that are finished their degree they have as many qualifications as you can possibly have and they still just can't get a job and they've done everything in their power to be the best possible professional person they can and they just cannot get employment me and one of my friends both use the same employment agency because because of being on centrelink you have to seek employment agencies and go Mm. through this Mm. whole process and even with that i still haven't been able to find work and neither has she out for Diversity is the organisation which has really, you know, been on the East Coast in the last two years has sort of appeared more here in Perth on the West Coast of Australia and really in a lot of big businesses um, are doing a lot of work to, um, there's quite a bit of competition amongst sort of, you know, the your, your big accounting firms and your big giant law firms to where they come on the Pride and Diversity Index as, as being a, a good employer. Also the universities, um, some of the universities here in Perth are in the, in the top 10. Yeah. But it's really, that's... They're all majorly large organisations. They you know, they're all people who employ thousands of people. And even some of those, um, they are really good with hiring lesbian, gay and bisexual people. But without naming names, there's a lot of organisations that I've spoken to very personally that are very big corporations mm. and asked them, do you have any trans policies in place? And they've said, no, when someone comes out as trans, then we'll make one. And yeah. you can't do something like that reactionally mm. because we are more likely to be fired if we come out than not fired. And also there's probably potentially people working in those organisations who are scared to come out exactly. and, and and sort of, you know, live the life they want to live because, like, no, wait, my employer maybe is not cool with this because they haven't put the policy out there yet. We have exorbitant yeah. medical costs and we are a lot of people that I know have waited a long time to come out until they've saved that money because they're so worried about if I come out, will I have a job? Will I have a home? If you're renting, sometimes your landlord can find out and kick you out. You know, It happens all the time. So just having basic needs met is a really almost impossible task for a lot of us. And I wonder you know, when that starts to filter down to smaller businesses, medium-sized businesses, smaller businesses. Cause I think all the efforts which are done at the moment just kind of really tackle one end of town. Yeah. yeah, and you don't see that coming through, and you know your your shops or you know retail jobs or warehouse type jobs, you know industrial type things. Yeah, it's it's a real bummer. The other thing, one of the the US studies showed was that you know suicide um, attempts and suicide idealization are still really high here in Australia. We had sort of a big push towards a lot of awareness about suicide prevention a few years ago. It, it seems to have quietened down a little bit in the last sort of 18 months. What kind of things could we be doing to talk more about that, to talk more about suicide prevention? Because it was sort of on the top of the agenda for a while and now it's maybe a little bit further down. It's a case of having services that will actually include us, which is basically none of them. At this point in time, there are only a few psychologists that will actually treat trans people in the whole of Perth and they're so booked that they can't take on any new clients at all. And we've got more and more people coming out every day and they just can't get in to see someone. It's really tough to find services that are affordable, that will bulk bill, that will take on board the fact that we are dealing with issues of unemployment or poverty, as well as mental health issues on top of that. A big issue is hospitals 
if you are feeling suicidal or you have attempted suicide, going to hospital is the last thing a trans person wants to do in the entire world. Because you go there, they write down your legal name, whatever that is, and they put that on an armband that you have to look at. They will address you by that. It doesn't matter what preferred name you tell them, they will ignore it. Um, if, for say, you were a cis person and your name was Samantha and you said, I go by Sam, they will do it. But mm. it's specifically in the case of trans people, if it's significantly different to the name that is on the other half of the sheet, they'll just ignore it. And that's the worst. In my own experience, a couple years ago, I went through a really rough time with mental health and I went to a hospital and they put me in there and they used the wrong name, put it on an armband. And then instead of sending me a like suicide watch nurse, which is what they're supposed to do, they sent me a chaplain specifically because they knew I was trans. And then that chaplain wow. sat there with me for six hours and tried to convert me. You know, uh, when you're in that sort of really awful mind space and headspace, you don't you don't need that on top of everything else. So uh, one of the problems I have with trying to support other people is they're saying, you know, I want to kill myself, but when I do, don't take me to a hospital. I would literally rather die than go to a hospital. On the wider sort of area of, you know, for, I know psychologists do constant training to update them, but, you know, if you were to start training the psychologists who are going to university now to have that sort of greater awareness and greater um, sort of scope of who their clients might be, it's such a long process to become a psychologist. By the time they're out and practicing, we're talking eight, nine years away. Yeah. You know, so something which is very challenging to make quick changes in a field so that the services are responsive. Yeah, that's the struggle, I guess, is queer theory is something that's so rapidly developing. And that's not to say that, you know, it's not something that's been around forever. It's just new language to describe what everyone's feeling is appearing and they're finding new ways of explaining themselves, especially with micro-minorities, non-binary genders. People think, oh, there's all these new words. It's so scary. Really, it's just lots of people that have the same experiences now have a word to combine and form a community based on those. But that's the problem is it's going to keep growing and changing and developing like all things in the world and life. Um, but there's no excuse not for people to get on board with it because no, there are so many other things where phrases have changed. But I think teaching someone in university or just teaching someone once about something isn't really enough. It needs to be a constant refresher almost. I know of a really great psychology service that I see. They have a fortnightly uh, meeting where they learn all the new terminology for gender, sexuality, race, religion, everything new that's come up that they were able to find. They they relearn it so that they're as up to date as possible. Because the problem we face if we do get into see a psychologist is it then becomes having to educate them instead of getting the help we need. I've seen people in the past where they've said, so what does that mean again? And then it ends up being an hour of time that I've paid for me teaching them. It should be the other way around. It should. Yeah. And that's what's great about the services I see now is, you know, I'm there for something not even remotely related to gender. It's just basic mental health issues, chemicals not sitting right. That's a problem that's very common for us is we don't always feel distressed about our gender. Sometimes we just have depression or we just have another mental illness that's separate and people that we see automatically blame that. I've had a psychologist, uh, I've had a GP tell me that my tonsillitis was because of testosterone. You know, it's not. <laughs> That's not logical. You can't get a cold from the hormones in your body not the same way that you wouldn't get a cold from having testosterone in your body. As a community, what can people 
you know, just listening, what can people do to be more supportive of their friends? And I think it's just a case of asking the right questions, finding the information. If you look in the right places, you can find what you need to know. People have valid and honest questions. They want to know the answers to. Sometimes you can ask your friend, but it's not their job to teach you. You know, they're having enough of their own problems. One of the things that did come out of the study in the US is that um, one of the things that made the biggest difference was having a supportive family and good friends. If you're struggling with anxiety or depression, support and counselling are available. Just want to give a shout out to Lifeline, who, if you're in Australia, are available on 13 11 14. Or you can check out Beyond Blue on 1300 224636 or find them at beyondblue.org.au. And QLife is a referral service specifically for LGBTIQ plus people. They're available on 1800 184 527. It's a free call. You can find out more about them at qlife.org.au. If you're outside Australia, please check and go online and find out your local services and reach out for the help you need. It came up before when we were talking about hospitals and wristbands, um, the notion of respecting trans people's chosen names and not using their dead names, which has been seen in the media this week. Here in Perth, there's a case before the courts involving a transgender woman who until this week had been detained in a male prison. She's never legally changed her name, so in court she's had to appear under a male name. There's been a request that media outlets show some respect and use her initials, but many media outlets still use her full name, and some have defended this, arguing that it's accurate reporting. Over in Oakland, California, on December 2nd, there was a horrific warehouse fire that killed 36 people. Three of those victims were transgender women. Those who had changed their names legally were reported under their chosen names, but one who had not had her death reported under her birth name. Can the media be more respectful in situations like these? Absolutely. I mean... You know, there's we have guidelines on how we report suicide. We have guidelines on how we report legal matters. You know, why can't media have guidelines on how they report, you know, and respect transgender people? I just, I don't understand what the compulsion is to, I mean, if somebody said to you, can you please do this, and it doesn't affect you in any way, shape or form, why can't you just do it? <laughs> yeah. If someone was to report on my death using my dead name, that would just be the most distressing thing. Obviously, I wouldn't be there to be distressed about it, but everyone around me would be very, very distressed. One of the worst fears that a lot of us have is that, you know, we will pass away and we will be buried under a tombstone with the wrong name on it or we'll go, or our friends will have to go to a funeral where our families talk about us incorrectly. Um, and that's something that happens all the time for a lot of people is they, their friends aren't even allowed to attend their funerals and wakes and whatnot because their family don't want them there. But when it comes to media, it's I don't see any reason why they shouldn't do the respectful thing of using someone's real name. Well, I was thinking about this earlier today and the example, or the comparison which came to me was if Indigenous people pass away, culturally it's disrespectful to use somebody's name and if someone of note passes away, often they will only use their family name. They won't use their first name. And, you know, we respect that for years after that person's death in, in the media. So if we can do it in one space, why can't the media do it in another space? They, you know, they can say their common claim is they do it for clarity because, um, you know, if someone says trans woman or trans man, they go, no, but we need to explain that they were born this way because otherwise people won't get it. But... Why? And so often in those reports, that has nothing to do with the context of why that person might be in the news anyway. Mm. You know, um, it has no relevance 
whether they're uh, you know they're reporting because they've been alleged to have committed a crime or you know they've achieved something why can't we just celebrate someone's achievement without saying and also completely irrelevant to their achievements they have a, a gender history yeah you know, it's it That's seems why it's history yeah. it's not present <laughs> um for me it's something that i only bring up in my personal life if it's relevant or if someone's being really transphobic then i'll, I'll call them out on it and say hey i'm part of this community but it's not a part of every second of every day of my life and my achievements are separate to that um I've had issues in the past with being a slam poet and having people report me as the trans slam poet. And I've said, no, I'm just a slam poet. I don't even really write that much about gender things at all in my poetry. It's more about dealing with grief and loss in my past, which has nothing to do with gender at all. We are more than just our genders, and we have an entire personality and life and interest separate to that, and the media is really not acknowledging that. And if you look at any media report, really, either it's sensationalizing or sexualizing people, you know, the the part that they get excited about is, ooh, look, they have been born differently. That's something we can sensationalize and get lots of views off of. And that's really just exploiting someone. I have personally had times when I've, you know, I've had friends who have transitioned and just, you know, socially have been telling a story, an anecdote about something which happened way back when. And you sort of reach that point where, you realise that someone's gender has changed since that occurred. Yeah. And when you retell the story, you kind of have to recast your friend in in your mind and you sort of have to stop for a second to think and kind of like rearrange things in your brain. But once you accept that and you get used to it, it's not a problem. Yeah. You know, as where some people seem to this is a real stumbling block of remembering or, or recounting the past. Yeah, for some people it's almost like the past person is a completely different person in their head and then there's this new person and they find it really hard to acknowledge that it's been the same person all along and they've always been this gender that they're now presenting as. It's just that they didn't have the the safety or the ability to do so in the past or they were worried about coming out and being comfortable. Another thing we wanted to talk about is whether or not we still need male and female categories at the Oscars or at any award ceremony, I suppose. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race contestant Kelly Mantle is eligible for an Oscar nomination. Uh, Mantle is gender fluid and plays a transgender sex worker in the film Confessions of a Womanizer. The performer is eligible for an Oscar consideration, but producers were faced with a dilemma. Do they put the nomination in the male or female category? In a historic move, the Academy has allowed a nomination in both categories, but it made me think, do we still need male and female categories in acting awards? Yeah, the first thing I thought about when I saw this story is that if you're up for so to get a nomination, the the long list is what you know Kelly Mantle is on now. Mm-hmm. So that's hundreds of potential performances. So you have to get enough people who are in the voting Academy voting block to to vote for you to make the short list of like five or six nominees. And if you have a nomination in both the male and the female categories, then you're splitting your vote, your potential nominations, in half. Mm. So your chances of actually getting nominated are less than what they were if you were just in. One category. Yeah. But um, why why do we still have that separation between male actors and female actors? I mean, I can understand if we're talking, you know, the Olympics, you know, that there's a physicality possibly to competing, but not in acting. No, well, I suppose it it, um, creates more opportunities for women. Unfortunately, the way Hollywood works is that there are male and female roles in film, and that's something that ideally over time will change, that people will be able to play roles outside of that just in general, give trans actors a chance in the first place um, would be good. While that system still exists, 
women do deserve to have more opportunities to get awards and to be recognized for their contribution. But at the same time, dividing it into categories doesn't include anyone who identifies outside of those categories. So, And it's not the first time a person of you know diverse gender has been nominated in the Academy Awards. Jay Davison was nominated for um, The Crying Game um, in the Best Supporting Actor category um, for playing you know, a transgender role in, in that film and then won the award. But there was at the time, you know, sort of that discussion about is that the right category for that performance to be in? You know, because it was played as a female role. Well, did that person identify as trans? They were never particularly clear on what their own identity was. Yeah. So, which I guess, and you got to remember this is the sort of early, mid-90s we're talking, you know, twenty almost twenty years ago. They didn't um, really understand more than twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Letting trans people play trans roles at that point, it was beyond fathomable. I'd say they probably Jay Davidson was definitely um, fluid in gender. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned yeah. it was unfathomable for trans actors to get any roles in, in the nineties. Do you think we're doing much better today, though? Well, if you look at anything in Hollywood these days, it's still cis male actors playing trans. Yeah, women, which that's what I was is, thinking not great in any possible way mm. and literally leads to death for trans women. Right. Do, so. you, do you appreciate people like Jeffrey Tambor coming out at the, oh, I can't remember which award he won. Was it the Emmy Awards? It was yeah. the Emmys, yeah. And he said um, he hopes he's the last cisgender person to play a transgender role. Do you think that's helpful? Yeah, I was really happy with, the thing about him in particular is even though he is a cisgender man playing a trans woman, He is in a show where he was forced to really be educated on his role by Mm. the fact that he was surrounded by a trans cast. Mm. And he was cast in that role, as much as that's not perfect, to get the show up and running so that they could give opportunities to everyone else to be trans actors in trans roles, getting paid lots of money for it. And those opportunities were awesome. But at the same time, it's, it's still a big issue that people are very divided on they don't understand the idea that you know if if someone can play someone straight can play someone gay then why can't someone cis play someone trans Mm. it's a very very different thing um i it's a bit politically incorrect but people are incorrect but i would say it's closer to someone white playing someone who's not white because you're literally playing something that you have no experience or fathom that you cannot fathom at all um Someone who's straight can imagine what it's like to be gay because they've loved someone before. They understand attraction, but someone who's cis can't really understand what it's like to experience dysphoria or any of those things. I do know of one case where a TV show called Hit and Miss had uh, Chloe Savini play a trans woman, and she had to wear a prosthetic penis for the role, and she almost, to some extent, experienced dysphoria where she felt so uncomfortable at one point she literally pulled it off because she was like this doesn't belong here I hate this and I guess that's the closest an actor can really get to beginning to experience that before we go because we're going to run out of time oh yeah the uh I've just very quickly want to ask this is the most ridiculous news story I've seen all year Mm -hmm. and it came out this week do you believe in ghosts no Uh, don't get me started you're a big ghost believer or a total (sighs) non-believer I'm one of those people who's, you know, if you can't see it, I don't know, 
Yeah, I don't believe in ghosts. (laughs) A uh, release, media release, has been put out by the Spiritual Science Research Foundation. It is a real thing. Uh, They claim that the reason most people who are gay are attracted to the same gender is because you're possessed by a ghost of the opposite gender. (laughs) Lee, they say there's a woman inside you trying to get out. (laughs) Absolutely is. This is just the craziest suggestion ever. But they actually put a graph in their report. It says... 5% 5% of gay people are gay because of hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. 10% are gay because of psychological experience, suggesting that you had a gay experience as a teen and you just really liked it a lot. <laughs> um, and the other 55, 85% of people who are gay are gay because they are inhabited by ghosts. Or as their graph actually says, mainly ghosts. <laughs> what is the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard as a reason for why people are the way they are? Well, there's that other story that was going around this week where um, some guy in, I think it's a religious leader in Africa, reckons he can make people's penises bigger by rubbing them. He's, he's not wrong, but... It's true. It's the, I believe him. <laughs> what do you say to that? <laughs> it's like, you know, you used to hear, like, you're, you're gay because you don't play enough sport. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, people are always telling me uh, maybe I wouldn't have turned out trans if I tried harder or <laughs> um, that... It's the people I surrounded myself with that I indoctrinated myself with media that was so trans, pro-trans, and I'm like, have you seen the media? It's really not... I mean, Where is this media? <laughs> yeah, I want to see this media. But especially that you didn't try hard enough when I've never understood that because, you know, my, I was sent to single-sex school and only surrounded by females and sent to deportment classes and taught every possible way to be female and did try very, very hard at it, and it did not turn out the way anyone had pushed it to. So clearly if that happened, then there's not really any basis to that one. The uh, crazy stories will never end. I think that's what we know. Did you do the whole books on your head walking department class? I did not do the books on the head, unfortunately, but I would definitely have failed at that (laughs) pointy head. (laughs) It's, It's a new millennium now. You do an iPad on your head. Oh, Jesus. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, because if you drop that, the screen will crack. That's the school coming out right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank Kai Schweitzer for coming along and having a chat with us today. It's been awesome having you here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Kai. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. We'd love it if you gave us a review on iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join the conversation about this show on Twitter using the hashtag Soloquacious or head to our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash outinperth where you can add your comments on the timeline. If you'd like to connect with the team from Out in Perth, you'll find us at outinperth.com. Until next time, remember, be vocal, be loud, be fabulous, and be so loquacious. Bye now. See ya. Bye.